Amen. Thanks, Brad. So good morning, everybody. Uh, morning to those of you tuning in online. <clears throat> Excuse me. Thank you for being with us. Uh, my name is Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer City. So in your worship folder is an insert. On one side is the scripture uh, that I'm about to read, and on the other is the outline uh, that I'll go over shortly. Uh, you can follow along on the screen behind me as well, or uh, in the Pew Bible. <clears throat> Excuse me, I think the page number's there. Uh, and just a reminder, when I finish, uh, we have a refrain that we are going to be doing together. Uh, so I'll say this is uh, the word of the Lord, and we will have uh, the verses from Isaiah pop up on the screen. There they are, okay? So just preparing you in advance for that. So from Luke uh, 17, I'm going to read verses 1 uh, to 10 as we continue uh, in our series called Graced today. Luke 17, and he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to stumble, to sin rather. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted into the sea and it would obey you. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. This is God's word. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Uh, amen. Amen. So the outline uh, is found on the, the other side of the insert there in your worship folder. We're in week two uh, of a series we're calling Graced, right? A series on grace. Uh, we're focusing in last week and this week, particularly on two graces we want to grow in as a gospel culture. Uh, you may not know this, but the root of culture is cultivate, which is a gardening word. So you have to have your hands in the dirt to cultivate something. That's the idea, whether a plant or a tree or something else. In spiritual terms, you've got to have your hands in the dirt to cultivate gratitude and forgiveness, which is the topic today. These graces take work. They take discipline. They take intentionality. And the idea of forgiveness, it's a word that many of you or all of you have at least heard numerous times in your life. The idea is something like this. The definition includes words like to cease or to give up or to grant relief to. And the basic principle is when we sin, a debt is created. It's owed, meaning someone has to pay it. One of the two parties in the relationship or in the transaction must absorb or pay off the debt. Uh, we, uh, we just read, actually, about the first one of these all the way back in Genesis 3 this past week in community Bible reading because you have an instance where uh, 
Adam and Eve's sin. And it comes to verse 21 of chapter 3, and it says, The Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Where did those skins come from? Did they just magically appear? Presumably, some animal lost its life for the skins to cover the man and the woman for their sin. That's the idea. Someone has to pay. Uh, And if the church is to be a foretaste or a preview of sorts to the new world that's on the way, one of the most powerful testimonies is how we do relationships. Not just how we do relationships, but how we do relational conflict and reconciliation. And it's hard. It's really hard. Uh, I I know we're Presbyterians, but that, that was one of those amen times. Yes, thank you. Uh, We can all think of that one person or persons in our life that has hurt us over and over or the hurt they've caused us was so painful and powerful that we replay it in our minds over and over. How to engage with them, how to heal from those hurts, how to wish blessing and not cursing for them. It's all part of the grace of forgiveness. And so we're going to trace it out under three headings. There again, uh, you can see them in the outline in your insert. Uh, First, the challenge of forgiveness. We've got some powerful cultural forces working against us uh, today in terms of practicing this as a distinctive community of grace. Secondly, the freedom of forgiveness. The Bible describes unforgiveness as torture, bitterness that takes root. But a person of faith is a forgiving person. And only Christians can truly forgive because we've experienced a forgiveness unlike any other. And that frees us to grant forgiveness habitually. Lastly, uh, the power of it. When you pay the debt, when you suffer voluntarily, it displays the power and wonder of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Only Christianity can give you the resources and tools you need to participate in a community that's constantly reconciling. That child needs to be reconciled (laughs) to its parent or to someone else. We're not really sure, but pray for whoever is handling them, right? We're constantly having to practice these things, constantly having to work through these things. Now, if you're here and you don't consider yourself a Christian, let me say this. Please consider the claims of Christianity, especially as they relate to this topic this morning. We desperately need it. I want to convince you, hopefully, that our world needs it. You need it. And if you're here and you do consider yourself a Christian, I hope you'll consider how experiencing God's forgiveness in Jesus will result inevitably in thicker skin, not thinner skin, and a daily commitment to reconciliation because the Bible's teaching is oftentimes you have to grant forgiveness before you feel it, right? It's a, it's a decision. It's an action, okay? So uh, first, the challenge. Well, I, let's take a few minutes here. I want to sketch out there's, there's two major trends in our culture that are particularly pervasive in their effect on forgiveness. The first, it, Drew referred to earlier, it's this so-called expressive hyper-individualism. The self is most important. Listen to the way one actress recently put it. Uh, this is kind of her, her uh, what she's trying to communicate, what her goal for those that follow her and for her own life is. Quote, look for your own truth. Live your own truth instead of repeating someone else's. The most important question each day is, what do I need today? And then go and get it. You can, you can feel the self-centered consumeristic mindset in those words, at least I hope you can. What do I need today? I've just got to go figure out what it is and go get it. 
See, we are the first culture in world history to stress that community and the common good align with my individual desires rather than the other way around. The highest good for any person is to demand affirmation from the community. So society is full of people that we call performers and influencers rather than disciples or apprentices or learners. Uh, I referenced the book there uh, on the, the backside there with resources, this book by Gregory Jones called Embodying Forgiveness, and he says this, so if all that matters is individual autonomy, then forgiveness and reconciliation, which are designed to foster and maintain community, they're of little importance. The, the irony is just as forgiveness is learned, it's a spiritual discipline that one has to see over and over. So the only way that Wesley Oram is going to learn forgiveness is to watch mom and dad forgive again and again. And then watch the Christian community and his family forgive and forgive again and again. Just as that's learned, right? So revenge and self-realization are learned and seen. And so what Americans are seeing is cultural elites that practice, well, not self-denial, but self-assertion. And so fulfillment, that's the ultimate value. And so as we grow, we learn and see that. What, what is discipling us? Well, those things. Some Christian writers talk about our culture as a so-called uh, therapeutic one, right? And so this becomes the attitude toward forgiveness. Listen to this quote from an article. I believe it was in the, the New York Times. It says this, the notion that the victims of crime, oppression, and sexual assault must forgive their oppressors piles more oppression and harshness on the victim. Insisting that she forgive plays into the sickness of patriarchal, misogynistic, male supremacist religion that blames women. Read Christianity. That's what they're referring to. And then the last statement says, forgiveness is so overrated. Gosh, I read that and it was kind of like, wow, that's the first time I'd ever seen that article or those words. That was pretty telling. So expressive individualism coupled with an overall gracelessness in our society, that's kind of the second thing, okay? Our culture vehemently demands atonement constantly. If you sin, especially publicly, particularly on social media, you must apologize. Otherwise, you risk getting what? Canceled. Everybody knows the word. And because forgiveness is seen as weakness or even self-hating, you must make amends. But the problem is you never know when you've made enough, do you? You're constantly trying to make more amends. There's just a general touchiness. Am I amen? Yeah. With people? I mean, do you find that people are just generally kind of touchy? Just touchy, like sensitive, overly so. So unlike the biblical truth, Peter says in 1 Peter, love covers a multitude of sins. We actually are becoming a people who are unable to overlook even the slightest slights. But insults are serious business, right? So in a, in a, in a shame-honor culture, uh, it's, it's very important to not have thick skin because to have thick skin and let things go is seen as a weakness. Any slight must be dealt with as an affront to my honor or the honor of my family or the honor of my tribe. That's a shame on our culture, and we have become that in many respects. So 
Alan Jacobs teaches at uh, Baylor. Some of you may have heard of him. He's written some, some great books, one called How to Think. Highly recommend it, especially for high school students. He says this, when a society rejects the Christian account of who we are, it doesn't become less moralistic, but more so, far more so, because it retains an incoherent sense of justice, but it has no means whatsoever of offering and receiving forgiveness. And see, social media amplifies that too. The most honor goes to uh, victims, so even something like granting forgiveness is seen as a power move. It's a way to keep oppressors oppressing. And so justice becomes more important than mercy. And as only he could say it, let me quote Tim Keller. He's a writer and a former pastor in the PCA. He summarizes the modern view of forgiveness like this. He says it's, quote, a form of psychologically unhealthy self-loathing. Yeah, that has to sit with you for a minute, doesn't it? A psychologically unhealthy form of self-loathing. Now, I sincerely hope you don't hear of all of what I just said and say, eh, I think he's exaggerating just a bit. Those are quotes from real places, real articles. I hope that you instead, you feel the weightiness of the time we live in and how distinctively different Christianity is, how challenging it is to put into practice the things that have made us for thousands of years different. But also how desperately our culture needs these things. They need us to behave in the way that the scriptures have described and tell us to behave, not to behave like them. Uh, if you have an opportunity to read an interview that Tim Keller did with, uh, with uh, Christianity Today, no, World Magazine, excuse me, uh, as he is kind of in the, the more of the winter of his life, uh, and they ask him some questions about, you know, what, what challenges do you think pastors face today that you never had to, cha- to, to face? And he, he just said, the polarization that now has impacted the, the church is something that you constantly as pastors have to, have to be dealing with. So one side is informed this way and one side is informed this way and you're trying to maybe bridge the middle. He said it's incredibly dif- difficult. And forgiveness is something uh, that whether we like it or not, our culture has had a great impact on how we practice or don't. So contrary to the surrounding culture, uh, we are a people who, who can find great freedom in forgiveness. Christians are called to be people who are habitually and perpetually forgiving. Habitually and perpetually forgiving. Our model prayer, after all, the Lord's Prayer, Every time you pray it, it reminds you that you should be immersing yourself in remembering we have been forgiven by the sacrifice of Jesus so that we can forgive others. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, the prayer goes. Forgiveness is at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. Because who are we? Well, we are people who take our sins more seriously than the sins of others. Do you remember the reading of the law passage from Matthew 7? It's in your worship folder. Right? More often than not, what appears to be a log is actually a twig. It's us that has the log. So we take our sins more seriously than we take the sins of others. Jesus tells us in the Gospel of Mark, we didn't read this, uh, but you can find it uh, later. It's in Mark chapter 11. He says, if we find while praying that we have, quote, anything against anyone, we are to forgive them right then and there. Okay, that's a tall order, right? In the Gospel of Matthew, 
He tells the story of a guy who was forgiven an enormous debt and then turns around and begins to choke a friend who owes him a few dollars. And Jesus says, that guy is imprisoned. He's actually tortured by his unforgiveness. The end of the parable, he says, they, they said, the master sends this guy to the torturers because unforgiveness can become a prison, a torture that you, uh, that you live in. Now look again at the passage I read a few minutes ago, Luke 17. To withhold forgiveness is to create a stumbling block. It can create a temptation to sin for another person or for you, right? And Jesus says there are enough sources of temptation in our lives already. So to create a stumbling block in our relationships is adding fuel to the fire of temptations. And so lest you think that you or I might not, he might not be applying this to us. Maybe you're reading this and, you know, I wish so-and-so was here today. They got a real problem with unforgiveness. I mean, they, they, they need some help. Maybe they need some counseling, actually. You're reading along, and you get to verse uh, 3, and what does he say? Pay attention to yourself. Right? And let's be honest, it's a pretty tall order, because if you get to verse 4, verse 4 says, If he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Okay, just fill in the blank in verse 4 with the most difficult person in your life. Okay? The person you try to avoid, the person whose name is synonymous with fingernails on a chalkboard every time you hear it. Just, right? And that person sins against you seven times in a day and they, every time they come back and they say, please forgive me, you must forgive them. This is a tall order. Holy smokes. And the only response, we saw this last week, with the idea of gratitude and the grace of gratitude and practicing gratitude, the only response is that of the disciples because they realize what they desperately need in the next verse, verse 5. What do they say? Oh, Lord, increase our faith. Man. Jesus says to be truly free, to not lead others into temptation or sin, we must become people who have known and not just known, but grant the grace of forgiveness. And we experience the freedom in two ways. First, in receiving it. If you look back at the assurance of pardon, it comes from Colossians uh, chapter 3. And Paul says the only way to find the grace of bearing and forgiving one another is to receive God's forgiveness in Christ. Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, you're really free, right? You're free indeed. You're free completely, fully, right? And I said this earlier, but it bears repeating. When we sin against one another or God, a debt is created. And a debt has to be paid. It's owed, right? One of the two parties must absorb or pay off the debt. Now, imagine your debt as a lifetime of sinning. There's an enormous sum that you've accumulated. And again, we didn't read it, but the story Jesus tells in Matthew 18 is very simple, at least with respect to his point. He says, receiving the forgiveness of the master for a debt you could never pay off should drain you of revenge. You're free to forgive. And it's why the guy who was forgiven the enormous debt goes and starts to choke his friend who owes him a couple of dollars. And the master finds out and the master says to the servants, send him to the torturers. Because that's where he was living, right? Right? Now, not only receiving it, 
but granting it. There's a freedom in granting it. There's an internal attitude that Jesus is calling us to, as well as an external pursuit of restoration. So there's something that has to happen in here internally, and then there's something that happens as I move toward the other person externally. In Luke 17, Jesus is not saying that if a person doesn't repent, you're under no obligation to forgive them, okay? Some say, well, I've forgiven them, so I don't need to go to them. Well, if that's your attitude, listen, if that's your attitude, you're cutting that person off from the joy and freedom of receiving forgiveness. But others say, even quoting these verses from Luke 17, if the person doesn't repent, I don't have to forgive them. Well, if that's your attitude, you're cutting yourself off from the joy and the freedom of granting forgiveness. And so an attitude of forgiveness sounds like this. Uh, And I referenced this uh, little article uh, that uh, Tim Keller wrote uh, some years ago, Serving Each Other Through Forgiveness and Reconciliation. So, so practical. I cannot emphasize this enough. It is so practical. And he he says this, An attitude of forgiveness sounds like the promise not to constantly bring the wrong up to others or to yourself internally or to the perpetrator for the purpose of payback. It's a commitment to refrain from replaying the video of the wrongdoing in order to continue to nurse your grudge and keep rooting for the person's unhappiness. Whether the person ever repents, this is possible because it's done from the heart, a supernaturally changed heart. Now, let me say, I wanna be careful. In no way do I want to make light of or gloss over significant, serious, painful sins that have been done to you. Don't hear me say that, please. Forgiveness is something that can take years. Forgiveness can be a long process because we can deeply hurt each other. And we don't want to minimize that. But here's the good news. Only Christianity can equip you to truly forgive and find freedom. Only Christianity. Jesus does say we have an obligation to rebuke the one who sinned against us. But the manner in which we rebuke will directly affect how the other person receives our forgiveness. That's why the internal attitude is so important before we do the rebuking. Having said that, the ultimate goal of forgiveness is reconciliation. Jesus didn't die in order for us to experience forgiveness and leave us to ourselves, did he? That's when you say no, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he sent who? The Holy Spirit, who is sealing and applying his work daily. And as a result, we say that we have a what with God? A relationship. That's directly tied to the result of having been forgiven, having been reconciled. And that takes me to the power, lastly. This is, I think, at least part of the reason that the church has such an opportunity to witness to the power of forgiveness in our redeemed and restored relationships. If the world saw this, if the world continues to see this, they will think, ah, something is different. What is it about these people? Martin Luther King Jr. said, he who is devoid of the power to forgive is devoid of the power of love. We can never say, I will forgive you, but I won't have anything further to do with you. Because forgiveness means reconciliation and coming together again. Now, that's a quote from 
a man who was hated and mocked and ultimately assassinated for his desire to simply see black Americans treated with the same dignity as white ones. And he continued to preach and speak that way throughout his life. Or there's Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who recently passed away. He lived through the apartheid years of South Africa, and in the years after uh, apartheid was abolished, he maintained what he called a reconciliation commission. Actually, it was called a truth and reconciliation commission. And so what happened was if you came to the commission and you publicly stated the ways in which your sin had contributed to the problem, the commission would publicly grant you amnesty and forgiveness. He said, without forgiveness, we have no future. And his work became the model uh, for the nation of Rwanda as it sought to heal from the genocide that it experienced uh, back in the early 90s. But I think one of the most powerful examples in recent history uh, is one most of you are, are probably familiar with. In 2006, a gunman took Amish school children hostage uh, in a town in uh, Pennsylvania. He shot 10 children, uh, ranging from ages seven to 13, five of whom died, and then he committed suicide. But the response of the Amish community is what astounded the American uh, people. Because hours after the killings, members of the Amish community visited the killer's wife and then his parents and expressed their sympathies at their loss. The Amish even attended his funeral. They forgave him very powerfully and very publicly. And about four years later, a group of sociologists looked back at the, at the, uh, at the incident and, and kind of wrote a, a, an academic report. And what they found was that only Christianity would produce people who grant forgiveness like that. They found the Christian faith, ultimately, and for the Amish, is about a man who willingly died for his enemies, forgiving them even as they nailed him to a cross. And in the church and in the, in the community of faith, that man, Jesus Christ, is seen and sung and believed and rehearsed and celebrated all the time. And that's the power source. The more we find ourselves rejoicing in our forgiveness the quicker we will be to forgive others. Our skin will, instead of growing thin, grow thick. For the small things, right? For the slights. It'll drain us of our touchiness. And so we can't tire of forgiving and repenting and seeking to repair relationships. Jesus tells us we should go to someone if we know that they have something against us. Jesus tells us we should go to someone if we know that they have, or excuse me, if we have something against them, you're, you're caught. <laughs> That's both scenarios, right? And uh, again, quoting from um, Tim Keller, he says, if any relationship has cooled off or has weakened in any way, it's always your move. Yeah, that was my response too. I, 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 I went, mm, as I read that out loud by myself. Like Jesus, our forgiveness is a form of voluntary suffering, but it's always seeking a greater good. Someone has to pay the debt. Without the shedding of blood, forgiveness can't happen. And so last week, uh, Drew mentioned making a gratitude prayer card, all the ways you can see God's hand at work, all the ways he's blessed you. I want to encourage you to make an additional prayer card. At the top, write difficult people. You don't have to write the names out if, if you're afraid somebody else might see it. Just write 
initials, or maybe come up with code names for the people, right? But I want you to do this because oftentimes these are the people who you find it most difficult to forgive. And as you pray for them by name, ask God to soften your heart and begin to practice this grace of forgiveness. Gregory Jones, again, he says, Christian forgiveness is a way of life, a fidelity to a relationship of friendship that must be learned and relearned on our journey toward holiness. And if we will commit together to learning and relearning this on our journey together, I think the world will have something to say. And it'll be a question, who is this guy that you constantly sing and celebrate and talk about? What did he do? And then you get to tell him, oh, he forgave me. And that allows me to be a person just like him. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, we desperately need you to reform us out of the deformed ways that we have been uh, doing life and so often more, more formed by our surrounding culture than formed by you, forming us into the image of the Lord Jesus himself. We pray that you would increase our knowledge of, our experience of, our glorying in your forgiveness, that you paid a debt we could never afford. Our sins there are many, your mercy is more. And as that song begins to flow out of our heart and into our lives, into our actions, we would become people who practice that same grace of forgiveness perpetually and habitually. But Father, we, we want to acknowledge and be honest with you that there are numerous relationships in our lives where we find this to be so very difficult uh, because hurt is real. And as the saying goes, hurt people hurt people. And that's all of us. Uh, and so we pray that we would take those names, those relationships, those situations to you and be honest with you about the struggle and you would be extra gracious to give us the grace that we need to move toward them. It's always our move. Help us to believe that and practice that. And ultimately, may you receive glory from the way that we restore and reconcile ourselves that the community around us might see and the community around us might come to know and believe and love Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So the good news of Christianity is uh, you don't have to go figure out how to forgive and then come back here and something magical about this room. He goes with you and graces you as you leave this place to practice gratitude, to practice forgiveness and uh, live a life of grace. Uh, and that's what the benediction kind of confirms, reminds us of. Uh, it's kind of the last, you know, the last thing for your heart to grab hold of uh, and take with you cement it down deep in there uh, as you go into whatever you face today and this week. So receive these words, hold on to them tight, uh, know as, he go, as you go, rather, he goes with you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace both now and forevermore. Go in his peace. Amen.